Well, before we get started today, I have to pause and thank the Grace Chapel family once again for the anniversary video last Sunday. It caught me completely by surprise. All I can say, it's a good thing I was watching from the privacy of my living room at home because I was a blubbering mess by the time it was over. Just seeing the faces of people that I love and hearing their stories, I just was filled with this sense of joy and wonder and gratitude for, for all that God has done in our 20 years together. And it brought to my mind that all of you, too, whose faces and stories I also love and miss so much these days. So thank you again for your love and prayers, your engagement, your generosity, your friendship for all these years. It's a, it's a great story that God's been writing, and, and I look forward to the next chapter with you. So with that in mind, let, let's turn to a really important message that the Lord has been putting on my heart for quite a while. Back in August, I was on my way up to Camp of the Woods for a couple of days for a prayer and study retreat. Just me and the Lord in one of my favorite places, seeking his guidance for vision and for teaching this year. On the drive up, I was listening to a podcast on church leadership. Carrie Newhoff was interviewing John Tyson, who is the pastor of Church of the City in Manhattan, New York. They were talking about the pandemic and what it might mean for the church. And at one point, John said something that nearly made me stop and pull off the road. He said, The thing I think is so sad is I feel like in our quest for normalcy, we didn't learn any of the great lessons we needed to learn. This could have been an absolute revolution, and everybody was like, is this the beginning of a move of God? But then all those big efforts and 24-7 prayer meetings just faded off. And then the question became, how soon can we reopen? And so I think it's sad that we miss some of the big spiritual lessons. I should point out that Tyson has this Australian accent, so it sounds way cooler and more profound when he says it. But it was a terrifying thought to me that we might have be missing something that God wanted to say or do. Well, then the conversation turned to some of the racial incidents of the spring and early summer, and, and Tyson went on. And so even now, trying to respond to racial injustice and diversity, I think it's the church instinct will be excited for a moment and probably won't have the long game we need. God's always doing these moments of awakening. They're invitations to change. And if we don't set the right habits, practices, vision, and values deeply enough in that moment of disruption, we will revert back to the previous thing and miss the opportunity. And at that point, Carrie Newhoff interrupts him and says, wait, do you think it's too late? Did we miss a moment here? And Tyson says, I think we missed it, mate. I'm pretty sure we missed it. Like I said, it was such an unsettling conversation. I, I, I nearly had to pull off the road to process it. And here I was, headed up to camp, thinking God was going to, to meet me on a mountaintop or sitting beside the lake with my Bible open. And suddenly, I was doing business with God at 65 miles an hour on the Mass Pike. All right, it might have been 67 or 68 miles an hour because I was pretty amped up. Missed it. I mean, how could that be? I don't I want to miss anything God might want to do. And that thought, that unsettling thought, 
set the direction for the rest of my, my retreat the next couple of days. And, and it turned out the Lord did meet me on a mountaintop and beside the lake with my Bible open. And I came home determined that Grace Chapel and I would not miss this moment. Listen again to John's words. God's always doing these moments of awakening. They're invitations to change. And if we don't set the right habits, practices, vision, and values deeply enough in that moment of disruption, we will revert back to the previous thing and miss the opportunity. And that's what this series is all about. It's about leaning into the disruptions that we're experiencing here in 2020 and discovering what God might want to do in our hearts and our church and our nation. And so we're following Jesus as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. We're following him on this upward spiral of spiritual reformation. And we've learned that uh, disruptive moments, as uncomfortable, as difficult as they are, can lead us to divine encounters. When God speaks into our lives in ways we might not have experienced before. And today we're going to learn that those divine encounters can lead us to decisive moments when we stop what we're doing and turn to God. And the biblical word for that is repentance. And that's what we're going to lean into today, because as wonderful as these past 20 years have been, I don't want to miss whatever new thing God might want for us in this year and in the years to come. And I mean that both personally for you and me, and I mean it collectively for the Grace Chapel community. So we're going to look at two passages today. And it's a good thing we're not driving, because these are the kinds of passages that could make you pull off to the side of the road. So let's begin with a passage that uh, Pastor Adam spoke from back in August. It's kind of a warm-up to this series. It's about John the Baptizer, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And Luke tells us, John went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now understand, it was a very unsettled time in Judea and Galilee in those days. The nation was chafing under the rule of Rome. The religious leaders were bickering amongst themselves, vying for power and status. And the people were growing restless after hundreds of years without a fresh word from God. Some of them wanted to rise up and overthrow Rome by force. Others were just losing heart just going through the motions of their faith. When out of the wilderness comes this disruptor in waiting, John. He's calling on people to repent and be baptized. Now, baptism would have been an out-of-the-box experience for most Jews of the day. I mean, baptism was something that Gentiles did when they turned from their pagan religion and, and, and to the God of Israel. If a Jew was baptized, it was probably because they had sinned terribly or something bad had happened to them, and they needed to be restored to God and the community. But now John is calling them all to repent and be baptized, even the leaders, even the faithful. Now, repentance in the Bible is always about turning. It's about turning from, from the world's ways, turning from our ways of living, and turning toward God and His ways. It's about stopping and turning. 
And when the people pushed back, when they questioned their need for repentance, John painted a, a frightening picture for them. You brood of vipers? Now how's that for an opening line? Hey, thanks for joining us today, you snakes in the grass. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember now, he's talking to religious people. The kind of people who would hike out to the wilderness to listen to a sermon. The kind of people that will watch church at home even during a pandemic. And he was telling these nice church-going people that they had to repent. They had to stop what they were doing and turn to God. Stop what? They wanted to know. Stop going to synagogue? Stop, stop keeping the Sabbath? What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Apparently, these good religious people were so busy doing good religious things, like going to the synagogue and studying their scriptures, they'd forgotten about loving their neighbors, being kind to the poor. But John didn't stop there. He, he told tax collectors to stop collecting more than they were required. He told soldiers to stop abusing their power. Now notice, he didn't tell tax collectors to stop collecting taxes. He didn't tell soldiers to stop soldiering. He just told them to stop doing it the way they were doing it, in hurtful and wrong ways, and start doing those things the way God designed them to do. And that's what repentance is about. It's about stopping what we're doing or the way we're doing it and turning to God. So let's pause here for a moment and, and just consider this. If John the baptizer were, were to speak on next Sunday's broadcast, what might he say to the good people of Grace Chapel? What would he tell us to stop doing? What might we need to repent of? Well, a few things come to mind. How about idolatry? And that might sound a little bit strange, but, but let me explain. Early in our shutdown, uh, back in the springtime, our, our home group was meeting on Zoom one night, and we began talking about what all this means for us as, as followers of Christ. And one of our group members said, it's exposing our idols. Now, I should point out that he's from South Africa, so it sounded way cooler when he said it. What do you mean, we asked. And, and he started naming things. Shopping, sports, entertainment, travel. They've all been taken away, he said. All our normal, comfortable rhythms of work and family and church, they'd all been disrupted. Remember, I, idols aren't, aren't just statues that people bow down to. Idols are any earthly thing we turn to for, for comfort or for meaning or a sense of control. I'm okay because I have this or because I do that. And suddenly those things weren't available to us in the same way. So, so how would we handle that as Christ followers? 
Would we, would we turn to God in this decisive moment? Would we trust Him in new ways for comfort and meaning and security? So how about idolatry? Has this disruption exposed a dependence on something other than God in your life? Is there something God wants you to turn from, to stop? How about uh, self-reliance? As human beings, as, as Americans in particular, perhaps, we, we like to do it ourselves, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can fix this, we said to ourselves when COVID first hit. We'll just close school for a couple of weeks. We'll work from home. We'll do church online. We'll be back by Easter. We had no idea what we were up against. The best minds in the world have been working on this, and there's still no end in sight. It's brought us to our knees. And maybe that's exactly where we need to be, on our knees, in prayer. Is John Tyson right? Has the initial rush to prayer and dependence on God, has that been replaced by our scrambling efforts to fix things, to get back to normal as quickly as possible? I mean, even here at church, dare I say it, are, are we so busy innovating and pivoting and all the cool things that healthy organizations are supposed to do right now that we're neglecting prayer and dependence on God? So idolatry, self-reliance, how about injustice? I know, <laughs> you were hoping I wouldn't bring that up. And I wish I didn't have to. But how about it? How about racism and, and abortion and, and human trafficking and political extremism and, and all the things that are wrong with the world right now and wrong with us? Like the good Jews of John's day, have we been so busy doing our Sunday services and our home groups and our quiet times that we've forgotten to love our neighbors, especially the marginalized and the vulnerable and, and those who are different from us. This disruption has exposed all kinds of brokenness in the world and in the church. And we sense that God is speaking to us in this disruption, calling us to new and better things. So how will we respond? Will we stop in our tracks and turn to God? Will we pull off the road and do business with God? In his commentary on this text, N.T. Wright says, All spiritual advance begins with a turning away from whatever is hindering our obedience. In other words, if God is going to do something new and good, in our lives and church and nation, it's going to begin with repentance, with turning toward God. Are we prepared to do that? Well, let, let's jump ahead in uh, Luke's Gospel to a seldom-read passage in Luke 13. It's a passage that I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on, and as soon as we read it, uh, you'll know why. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, 
Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. See what I mean? It's a tough passage. Here, here these faithful Jews had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And while they were offering sacrifices, in other words, while they were worshiping God, soldiers stormed the place and killed them in cold blood, which spilled onto the floor with the blood of the sacrifices. I mean, talk about a disruptive moment. So the crowds were asking the, the very same questions that you and I ask when something like this happens, when we hear about a shooting at a synagogue or a mosque or a church. What's up with that, God? Why does this happen? It's a reasonable question to ask. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't answer it. He bypasses the why question and goes right to the how question. How should we respond? And the proper response to this disruption, he says, isn't to overthrow Rome, which is what some of them were hoping he would say, or, or to escape into your comfortable religious practices. It's to repent. It's to examine your hearts and turn to God while you still have the chance. And as if that wasn't hard enough to hear, Jesus goes on to remind them of another tragedy. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Well, thanks for the pastoral words, Jesus. I feel much better now. I mean, Jesus' words sound pretty callous and uncaring at first hearing. But, but let's remember that this isn't exactly a pastoral moment. This is a philosophical debate they are happening, having here about, about a bad thing that happened sometime in the past. And Jesus doesn't want them to get so caught up dissecting the disruption that they miss the message. And the message is that the world is terribly broken, and so are we. Those worshipers died because people in power sometimes abuse it and do awful things. Those 18 passers-by died because a tower was poorly made and they happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The world is broken, and so are we, Jesus is saying. And sometimes we just have to stop in our tracks and face it. And so the proper response to disruption isn't to try and fix it or escape it or get back to normal as quickly as possible. The proper response to disruption is repentance. It's to pull off the road and do business with God. And maybe that's what I should have done when I sensed the Lord speaking to me there on the Mass Pike. And since that time, I've come to believe that this is, in fact, a decisive moment for us, for the church at large, and for Grace Chapel, and, and, and for each one of us. And as it turns out, I'm not the only one feeling this way. 
this past week, the National Association of Evangelicals, along with the World Relief Organization, one of our mission partners, took out a full-page ad in the Washington Post. Uh, they, they were wanting to respond to some of the unhelpful ways that the church has been perceived and at times has positioned itself in the public square. And so they issued a public statement calling the church to civic responsibility in the face of these polarized social and economic times. And the statement begins with a call to repentance. Let me share the words with you. We first acknowledge that we have not always loved God and loved our neighbor, and we repent. Despite the example of Jesus and the teaching of Scripture, many of us have not adequately and honestly opposed the unjust systems that fail people of color, women, children, and the unborn. We have not always fulfilled God's commands to protect the immigrant, refugee, and poor. We have not always treated those who hold different opinions, both inside and outside our faith, with dignity. We have not always displayed the beauty of the gospel of Jesus or the joyful relationship with him through faith. Well, the statement goes on to call the church to renewal and, and then to resolve. Now, you can find the full statement at forthehealthofthenation.org. Grace Chapel has signed on to that statement, and we trust that many others will follow. Now, however you may feel about that word evangelical, and, and whatever your perspective might be on the issues facing our nation, I think we can all agree that our fundamental problem is spiritual, that our hearts and our world are broken and that before we go any further, we need to stop what we're doing and turn to God. So what might this mean for us here at Grace Chapel? Well, a couple of thoughts, and, and, and then we'll wrap up. For our church, corporately, I feel like this is a, a pull-off-the-road moment. We're, we're, we're seven months into this pandemic and, and the other challenges of 2020. We're humming along at 65 miles an hour. We've worked hard to, to shift our ministries online, to stay connected with each other, to keep reaching out to people who are far from God. We've gone full-on digital, and that's good. But have we gone full-on spiritual? Are, are we praying in October the way we were praying back in March? Now, I know, I know many of us are praying individually. We're praying in our groups and our teams. But, but we'd like to do something about this corporately as the Grace Chapel community, a way of stopping and, and turning to God. So we're going to begin with three virtual prayer meetings, gatherings for the entire congregation over the next three months. The first one will be next Sunday evening, October 18th, 7 o'clock, Anyone can join us. Uh, you can visit the website, grace.org prayer, and find the Zoom link. We'll, we'll tell you more about it next Sunday. And for that first prayer gathering, we're going to focus on, on repentance, a prayer of repentance. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more to turning to God than, than a few virtual prayer meetings. 
but we're hoping they will set the pace and the tone for all that we do this year. And we hope that you will, will continue this conversation and this practice at home in your groups and in your teams. But, but what does it mean for us personally? Well, I mean, that's a question each one of us are going to have to answer. I mean, chances are this great disruption has exposed some brokenness in your life. Idolatry, maybe. I, I was speaking some notes into my phone the other day, and the word idolatry came out dollar tree. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, maybe, there, maybe there's something to that. Is there some earthly thing or activity or habit that, that you've been turning to for comfort or meaning or a sense of control instead of God? Maybe this disruption has revealed some racial or political biases that, that you didn't know were there, things that are hindering your relationships with God and other people. Maybe it's exposed to some brokenness in, in your family or your friendships. I read an article in the Times just, just last Sunday about, about how this pandemic has exposed weaknesses and, and fault lines in marriages. Some couples are finding that they aren't able to stand the strain of, of so much time together or of the financial pressure or the social isolation. One divorce lawyer reports that business is booming. But it doesn't have to end that way. There's an invitation here. If something's not working right in your life, there's an invitation here to stop and pull over, ask for help, turn to God. I don't know what repentance might mean for you personally, but maybe this question will help. What's one thing you are doing now that if you stop doing it, it would change your life for the better? What, what's one thing that might be hindering you from following Jesus, that if you stopped, if you turned from it, it would change your life for the better? Well, preachers typically like to wrap up their sermons with an inspiring story or a heartwarming illustration. And we could probably use one of those <laughs> right about now. Unfortunately, Jesus isn't going to give us one. He is going to leave us with a story, but it's got a bit of an edge to it. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it take up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. Well, it's an unsettling story, isn't it? I mean, if God is the owner and we, his people, are the fig tree, 
it seems to suggest that we have a, a limited time, a window of time in which to respond to disruption, to, to, to stop what we're doing and turn to God. And if we don't, if we wait too long, we, we might miss it. God might go off in search of another tree. Fortunately, Jesus is there to intercede. Wait, he says to the Father. Let, let's give them a little more time. Let, let me work with them a while and see if they'll repent and bear fruit. I wonder how long God has been waiting for the American church to repent. I wonder if he's been waiting for Grace Chapel to stop in our tracks and turn to him. John Tyson thinks it may be too late. He thinks we may have missed it, mate. But I, I like to think that, that Jesus is still here, that he is with us in the midst of this great disruption, and he is interceding with the Father and with us. He's saying, wait. Let's give them a little more time, Father. Let me work with them for a while and see if they come around. So what will we do with this decisive moment? I'm praying that as individuals, as a church, as a movement, we'll pull off the road and turn to God. And we're going to allow ourselves some time to do that today as we close out our time together. We're going to invite you into a moment of reflection, and if you're ready, a moment of repentance. Aaron is going to share a simple song with us, and then I'll, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, prayer of repentance, calling out some things we, we might want to turn from, and then giving you a chance to respond out loud, right where you are, simply by saying, we humbly repent, Lord, and receive your mercy. Now, I found a prayer of repentance online on the InterVarsity website, and I've kind of adapted it for our purposes here. So the prompts will show up on the screen. I don't want you to feel like you have to repent of anything that you don't feel convicted of. But if you're resonate, resonating with, with anything there in the prayer, I'll invite you to respond out loud or in your heart. So let's give a listen to this song and then come to God in prayer.